and amen. Turn to the person next to you and tell them it ends here. And you can have a seat. It ends here. I want to I prophesy something to you today that you're a generational stopper. You are alive right now for purpose, for a reason. God's breath is in your lungs. You have an, uh, the authority and the ability right now to stand up for things that have been plaguing people around you for so long because you have the spirit of the Lord in you. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. And the story of David and Goliath is not about David's courage. It's not about David's bravery. It's about David's faith. And it's about the God who David served. It's about the God who you serve. And courage and bravery and all those things absolutely play in us being able, and they're given to us through God. Be able to give us what we need to take the steps necessary. But let's not forget that it is God who has already won the battles in our life. So as I talk to you today, I want you to remember that the same victory that David had is the same victory that you can have because it wasn't David's victory, it was God's victory. And if anybody would tell you that, it is David from the Bible. So let's, let's be, what, what I felt inclined to do, I'm going to teach for just a second and then we're going to, we're going to get into the meat of this word. I wanted to, I felt inclined to show you a picture of Saul leading up to this moment in 1 Samuel 17 where David comes and he kills, uh, kills Goliath. And I want to just real quickly go through 1 Samuel 8. So in 1 Samuel 8, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview. I encourage you to go read it. It's a fascinating story um, and it really reveals um, how, how impactful and important this moment is for David and his role in Israel. First Samuel 8, Samuel made the mistake of making his own sons judges uh, to succeed him. They were unworthy and competent. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, Israel, being uh, influenced by nations that were around them, said, we want a king. They were being led by God, and you would see that God reminded them of that. But because they saw all these other nations that had a king, they said, we want a king. Then you go to 1 Samuel 9. Saul was chosen to be king. It was kind of a funny story how he was chosen to be king. But God whispered to Samuel that he was coming out the next day, this time the next day, uh, to anoint him king of Israel. And he invites Saul up to a dinner and puts Saul in the place of honor. It was beginning. In 1 Samuel 10, Saul was anointed as king. Samuel began to prophesy over him as part of Saul's journey. He's equipped for the office of the king of Israel. All of the tribes were gathered together and Saul was proclaimed their king. When they went to look for Saul, I, I think this is funny. In a lot of these stories, I was like chuckling to myself. They go to look for Saul, but no one could find him. And then the Lord, in like the quickest game of hide and seek in the history of mankind, said, there he is. And he was hiding in the equipment, so they brought him up before the people. And the Bible said that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else that was around. And that's important as we, as we get closer. And the people shouted, long live the king. For Samuel 11, Saul began well as he gained a victory over the Ammonites at Gabesh. All Israel accepted Saul's king. So it's, it's, it's an interesting story um, at uh, Jabesh, uh, Nahash, uh, with the army of the Ammonites, came around and they they surrounded this city. And the people of Jabesh said, uh, "Hey, we're going to make we're basically going to make a peace treaty with you. You don't mess with us, and we'll we'll serve you." And the Ammonites came back and said, "Yes, with this condition, we're going to pluck out all of your right eyes." And they basically said, "Hold up, give us seven days to send this word out into Israel, and if nobody comes." then you can do what you want. They wanted to pluck their, pluck their right eyes out as a reproach on Israel. So the word got back to Saul, and you read in the scriptures that the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and he was angered, and he was stirred in his spirit. And so they, they, unif you, they unified as, as a whole people, came down to Jabesh, they killed the Ammonites so badly that you could not even find two Ammonites together after the battle was, was over. So Saul has this great victory. He starts wonderfully. The spirit of the Lord is on him. And then for, you start getting into First Samuel 12. Samuel addresses uh, the nation of Israel at Saul's coronation. He reminds the people of how God delivered them and continues to deliver, to, to deliver them. Wickedness caused them to turn and reject God as their king. But there was a promise in the middle of the prophet's rebuke and repute. 
He said, fear the Lord and serve him and all of, with all of your heart. He has done great things for you, but if you do wicked things, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So God is telling Israel, hey, I'm going to give you what you wanted, but don't forget, I'm the God who delivered you. And the, and the people of Israel, they start seeing how they messed up. They start to say, hey, Samuel, please pray for us. But God gave them what they wanted. But God is not unjust and he's not a cruel father. He said, if you still follow after my commandments and if you still serve me, I will bless you. But if you turn away from me and if you act in wickedness, then you will be swept away, which is true in all of our lives. If you're following the Lord, blessing will follow you. If you turn around from him, calamity follows you everywhere you go. First Samuel 13, the real nature of Saul begins to show. His son Jonathan got a victory, uh, but Saul blew the trumpet and took credit for it. In presumption, Saul intrudes the priest's office. Samuel rebukes and rejects Saul. What happened was he took credit for Jonathan's victory. The Philistines, they brought, I believe it was an army of 35,000 chariots. And the people of Israel were like, "Uh uh-oh. And Saul was like, "Uh uh-oh. Because Samuel was not there. Now Samuel was the prophet and acting as priest. He was going to preside over the burnt sacrifices, the, the offerings. And, and, and Saul knew that they needed to give something to the Lord. But he, he usurped the protocol of the kingdom and he did it himself. And when he saw Samuel coming, Samuel immediately knew, Samuel, you don't mess around with Samuel. And, and, and Samuel said, what have you done? And this is where you, you see Saul and his character begin to turn away from the things of God. Even in your impatience, you need to be faithful and wait on God. Sometimes when we're, when we're impatient, that leads to unfaithfulness. And we get ourselves in more trouble than what we were in because we don't have the patience to wait on a God who has perfect timing. Samuel rebukes and rejects Saul and the disarmament of Israel is revealed. Verse Samuel 14, again, Jonathan gains a victory, but Saul takes credit for it. Saul took credit, I read this, Saul took credit for victory, and now his modesty was gone. Saul's jealousy was revealed. And what what happened was, he put out a, the Bible calls it a rash oath. He put out over all of the people of Israel, he said, nobody eat a bite until I have gained revenge on my enemies. And uh, Jonathan, his son, not hearing the oath of the Lord, they were walking through this forest and there was honey on the ground and Jonathan dipped the end of his rod in in it and he put it to his mouth and the Bible says that his countenance was brightened. Literally, Saul was starving the people of Israel until he fulfilled his battles. And what happened was, because he did that, the people were famished. The people were starving because not only are they winning battles and fighting, but they're not eating. Some of us can't go to work without eating, let alone fighting battles against the Philistines around every turn. And when they got this battle, they were so hungry that they began to eat the animals right on the ground, blood and all, disobeying a commandment of God that you find in the Old Testament. And then they begin to cast lots to say, who was it that broke the oath? And these lots turn up that Jonathan was. And, and Saul was so prideful at this point in time that he was going to let his own son be carried away to death because he couldn't admit that it was his fault for, for putting such a terrible oath on the people of Israel. If you've made a mistake, admit the mistake. People get hurt when we don't take responsibility for what it is that we have done. First Samuel 15, God clearly instructs Saul so Amalek, so they, I think it was 100 years before this, they came and attacked Israel, and it was the weakest part of Israel, and it angered God, and he vowed that he was going to bring revenge upon them through his hand. And he was going to do it through Saul, we find out. He says, go wipe out everything that they had, every possession, every person. And Saul, Saul heard the word of the Lord. They went in. Not only did he not kill and destroy everything. He kept what was good and he took King Agag as hostage. So like, here's the thing, when God tells you to do something, do what he said. Don't do what you feel's right. Because sometimes when we do what we, what we feel is right, it's not what God says because he has a purpose in everything that he does. In this point in purpose, he was bringing revenge to the people who slew a a city full of people. Later in the story, when Samuel comes and finds out that 
that, that Saul did not do what God told him to do, he said, bring Agag before me and give me your sword. You don't have to watch TV to get a good story. Go read your Bible. And they brought the king before him, and the Bible says that Samuel cut him to pieces. And Agag, before he cut into pieces, he said, is there no mercy anymore? Samuel responds to him with the same sword that you made motherless children, you shall now die. Saul should have just done what God said to do. And then we get to 1 Samuel 16. Because Saul, God has already rejected Saul because of his countless atrocities. And God is a God who gives mercy and grace. But if we continue to move towards rejection from him, there are prices to pay. In 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed as king, but not appointed yet. Samuel goes to see Jesse, David's father, and rejects all of his uh, older brothers and said, is there another one? And he says, yeah, he's watching the sheep in the field. They call him forward. He is anointed king. And then God's spirit leaves Saul, and a distressing spirit comes and begins to trouble Saul. Saul says, find anybody who can play skillfully and bring them before me. And that person was David. David came with his harp and began to play in the court of the king. And when he would play, the spirit would leave and Saul would be refreshed and be rid of this thing. That brings us to 1 Samuel 17. Everybody take a big deep breath. I was the most nervous about that whole part right there. It's a lot of information. So we come to 1 Samuel 17. The Israelites and the Philistines are gathering for a battle. Each army is on a mountain, and there's a valley that is in between them. And that's when we start reading in 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 7. The Bible says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubit, cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale, of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. How would you like to have that job? I would not. I mean, of course you think like Goliath's shield is probably big so you can just hide behind it, but what in the world? It's like, why don't you carry it, big guy? Goliath was described as a champion because what was, what was happening is the Philistines were, were, were trying to end the battle before there was any more bloodshed. A champion is somebody who stands between two men and says, bring out your best to face me, I'm the best. And, and, if, we, and if we win, bada bing, bada boom. We'll get to that in just a second. <laughs> Goliath was believed to be, I'm sorry, I, I have this bad habit when I speak of getting ahead of myself. So sometimes you just got to say awkward things to get back on track. Goliath was believed to be between eight and a half feet tall to 10 feet tall. His equipment that is listed in these verses weighed at least 150 to 200 pounds. His spear was nearly five feet long and could be used as a javelin. And like we said, his shield bearer went before him. Goliath was from Gath, which had many large and tall warriors that had come out of it. We'll talk about that in just a minute. To sum up Goliath, he was a big boy. He was big. And understand this about the giants in your life. They might seem big. You might be staring something in the eye that seems too big for you to conquer, too big for you to go through. But I want to remind you, as big as the mountain is that you are facing, as big as the trial and the struggle is that you are facing, our God is greater, our God is bigger, and he has already won the victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. So yes, Goliath looked big. He looked intimidating. We'll find out here in just a minute how he acted. But don't live by just what you see in the reality of what's in front of you. Because there's a God in heaven that stands with you. 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 11. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So he came down into the valley and was shouting to the ranks of the Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So remember... When Saul began his reign, when Saul was appointed and anointed, the spirit of the Lord was on him. 
And the Spirit of the Lord would come on him in moments like this. And he would raise up and he would do exactly what was needed in that moment because God was with him. But God was no longer with him. So instead of faith, he responded in fear. The giants in your life might not only look intimidating, but they are also loud, they are prideful, and they are trying to strike fear in your heart. Often trying to plant seeds of doubt. That's the thing that's so crazy, that, that, that is interesting to me. He's, Cause he's not just saying, hey come, we're gonna kill you guys and this is gonna be over. He said, no, if we kill you, you're our servants. And if you kill us, we'll become your servants. And he's so prideful, that he made Saul and all the Israelites believe that they could not win. So the outcome had to be, we're gonna become their servants. What if you fail? How many of us deal with that question in our life? What if I fail? I know what God has said, but what if I fail? I know who God is in my life, but what if I fail? By the way, we have this light that keeps going out. I'm just gonna acknowledge it, because I know you do. We play blessings on you. <laughs> being overcome with fear like we can look at song we can be like oh look at, look at him that's pathetic that's something that's happened to each and every one of us in this room we know what it's like to, to, to fight a giant who is big and great we know what it's like to face an enemy who is loud prideful and tries to fill our hearts full of fear and the enemy is relentless which we will talk about here in just a minute but some of us are defeated. I would say many of us are defeated on our fear alone. We don't even we don't even pick up a sword to fight. We don't even get ourselves into our armor and face the battle because we're afraid of what if we lose? What if we fail? What if I look like a fool? What if I do this? What if I what if I make things worse? When you have a promise over your head that God is with you, and if God is for you, then who can be against you? But the enemy comes in with doubt, and he's loud about it. He's loud about it. In any contest, I read this in a commentary, in any contest, it's always useful to demoralize your opponent and strike fear in their heart. First, it may keep you from ever going to battle with them because they are so afraid. Second, if it does not come to battle, they will fight you with fear and apprehension. And so with your words, you've already done a lot to win the battle before it even begins. This is a significant strategy of the devil against the believers of God. I believe that you see the spirit of Goliath alive and well in our cancel-enriched culture today. You disagree with me? I'm unfollowing you. You say something I don't like, I don't have to listen to you. Not only do I have to listen to you, but I will threaten you with words. I will, I will get my, my, my posse to come and we're going to come after you with everything we've got. The spirit of Goliath is the same. It's what we're facing today and we're facing big things. And sometimes you can feel so small if you forget who you stand with. Two things about Saul here. You have this Philistine that is saying all these things. First, if you remember, he was head and shoulders tall, taller than everybody. So if there was one person that was going to fight this fight, it was your boy. And he was silent and he, they, they sat there, we'll find out here, and for 40 days this happened. Saul was the one to do it. And then again, God's spirit had left him. Verse 16 says that for 40 days, Goliath stood in front of the army of Israel waiting for their champion to meet him. Now, we're going to continue in 1 Samuel 17, but let me, let me share this. Jesse had eight sons, and the three eldest followed Saul into battle. Uh, David was the youngest and went back and forth from Saul to play the harp and his, and, and his father to help tend the sheep. Jesse had David to take food to his brothers and the leaders of the military and to bring a report for how his brothers uh, were doing and, and bring it back to Jesse. When David arrived on the battlefield, that's where we pick up here in verse 21. 1 Samuel 17, 21. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle line and asked his brother how they were. He was doing his job up to that point. Uh, as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great anger. For 40 days, they fled from him in anger just by his words. 
Now the Israelites have um, been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage uh, and will exempt his family from taxes. Saul was looking for anybody to come and fight besides himself. The great king of Israel was looking for anybody and willing to give away basically the kingdom so that somebody would come and fight. And I'd also like to say this, the soldiers were focused on how big Goliath was and the material possessions that were offered in defeat of him. Never one time until David shows up on the scene is their faith, is their courage, is their boldness. These guys have the kingdom thrown at them but all they can see is how large Goliath is. In verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and remove, like right here is when the story starts to change, and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You haven't heard a word like this up to this point because fear has ravaged the ranks of the military. Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had said and been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older, oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, what, why have you come down here? And why, whom did, with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? They start to belittle him right out of the bat. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to only watch the battle. When faith comes in, to the camp of doubt, doubt tries everything it can to shut it down. You gotta watch who you are speaking to and who you are allowing to speak into you. They were angry because they had heard these words of faith that they hadn't heard up to this point and they knew he was right. David's brothers were not only shaken by the giant, not just David's brothers, but the whole army. They were shaken by the giant. They, they took on his language to talk to one of their own. He was prideful. He was intimidating. He was belittling. And as soon as David shows up, what did he receive from his brother and the army? The same thing that they had been getting hurled at them for the past 40 days. I submit to you that some of us are so mean because we are full of fear and forgotten who God is inside of us. You can give your enemy loud enough voice for long enough and forget who you are. All the mean people in the room are a little nervous right now. Short-tempered. God knows I've been there. Short-tempered, short-fused, frustrated, because the enemy has pulled you out of faith into doubt. He's pulled you out of trusting into this rests on your shoulders now. You have to go fight Goliath. It's on you. You need to go be the one who fixes this for Israel. But David knew that it wasn't upon the men of Israel. It was upon the God of Israel. And I want to say this to you before. I called you a generational stopper because you look at David. Let's just say his father's generation which Jesse was older than Saul here, but Saul, his generation didn't do it. David's older brothers, they didn't do it. It came down to David. You're a generational stopper because I believe you have the authority and the ability to stop in your bloodline what has been plaguing your family for years. And if you don't face what is facing you, your children will have to face it. And we are so full of fear to think. I mean, the enemy tries to shut us down and to get our minds so isolated and focused in our own little worlds and, and riddle us with shame and with guilt that we forget how near God is to us and who he is inside of us. God's looking for somebody like David to stand up and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And who does he think he is that he can stand against the armies of our Lord? Look, look at someone next to you and say, remember who you are. Oh, anything but a Lion King reference this morning. Remember who you are. Without God, we are nothing. I want to make that real clear. It is God inside of us that makes us something in his kingdom. And God is looking for a David to go run towards the enemy and kill what has been plaguing his people for so long. Let's continue in verse 29. David responds and says, now what have I done? 
Can I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Pick up in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Okay, uh, let, me, let me finish this and I'll get to that. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. What a leader. I would like to remind those of you who are in this room who are younger. that The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example to believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in, 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 in purity. We've talked a lot about the size of Goliath, but let's talk about the size of David. They believe that he was no more than 16 years old, probably somewhere between 13 and 15. He was young. <laughs> Surrounded by men who were way taller than him, looking at a man who was way taller than them. David's stature, the Bible says that he was handsome. He had that going for him. But he did not have the physical strength in and of himself to fight the giant that was standing before him. But I'm telling you something. You get faith inside of you. You believe who God is and the tables are turned. The, the giant now becomes a dwarf and the, and, and the young man now becomes the giant. Because in the kingdom of God, it's an upside down kingdom. First shall be last, last shall be first. Don't, dis don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. If you're young in this room, you have one opportunity to show the people around you how to live in purity and faith. And, and there's no excuse, oh, they're just young, let them do what they wanna do. No, 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 let me tell you something, young people. God's spirit is as much inside of us as he wants to be inside of you. We've said it many times before, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, and he is available to any and everybody who will invite him in, and he will shake you up so that you can shake up the world around you. You're living in a day where there are giants around every corner. And man, we can lower our head and we can say, what in the world? But I'm going to show you something right now, what King David did. Well, I'm not going to show you right now. We'll talk about it in a minute. But you have the authority. You have the ability to change things even before you are old enough to vote and drive a car. And if anybody ever looks at you and says, you can't do it, just know that they're battling with the insecurities and the insufficiencies that they have in their soul, heart, and spirit. And I just encourage you to flip it back on its head and begin to prophesy over them who God is. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. But David said to Saul in verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and kill it. killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. I love how Saul, he quit his complaining right then and there. He said, okay, bye. We found our guy because I believe Saul was reminded of who God is. And in, this, in the youth of David, Saul was reminded of who he used to be. And oh, my prayer is that our kids remind us of who we used to be. And that we get back to our first love because that's the kind of love that it's going to take to be generational stoppers. We don't serve God for simply ourselves. We don't serve God because of the here and the now. We serve God because of who he's been, who he is, and who he will be. The prayers that you pray over your kids, the positions that you put your children in, they matter. So it's time to start fighting the generational war so that your kids do not have to pick up the same addictions that you have been dealing with. That's better than what y'all are letting on here today. Shake yourself, Potter's house. 
It's time for somebody to stand up in the culture that we have around us today and say enough is enough because the generation that's coming behind me, I don't want them to face the same things that I did. I don't want to face the same things that my fathers did. I want to walk in freedom so that my kids can walk in freedom. God prepared David for this exact moment through the attack of the lion and the bear. The fights you have endured in your life are unto something. Think about it for a second. Those fights, the enemies you've faced, the spiritual enemies you face. I'd like to remind you, don't picture somebody. We don't, we don't war against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual realm that we warfare in. So if you've pictured somebody when I asked that, you need to ask God to heal you. It was like a trick. I didn't mean to do it. But think about the battles that you've gone through. Think about the victories that you've won. You're being strengthened in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. Battles with God build our history and faith in him. This is what testimonies do. That's what we saw here today. Robin, testimony. So many of you, we could pass this mic around. Testimony, testimony, testimony of God's goodness. David knew that he could defeat the giant because he'd already beaten the lion and the bear in the wilderness. Your, your battles will not be seen by everybody. But that don't mean that they're not strengthening you. You might have lions that are roaring all around you. And I'm not talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm talking more like Daniel lions. But what did God do to the lions that were trying to eat Daniel? Shut their mouths. There might be bears, big grizzly bears that are trying to attack you and chase you down. But God has given you the strength to overcome them. It's not in your power though. It's not in your strength. It's not in your ability to look like you have it all together. Some of us are faking it until we try to make it. And I have a philosophy about that. You keep, you keep faithful even though you don't feel it. Keep faithful. Because it's not about how, how we feel. But faking it until you make it is no way to thrive in the kingdom of God. I, I say... Press into God's promises. Press into God's goodness. Press into God's word. Because it's not through those around you who keep saying, hey, are you doing good? That's not where you get your strength. Your strength, your sustenance, your sustainability comes from one person alone. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the lion. Because I, I, this jogged a, a memory that I had. I heard somebody talk about this and it's amazing. In Judges 14, uh, it gives us a picture of Samson. It was on his way to visit a girl, and a young lion jumped on him. And just like what happened with Saul, Samson, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and the Bible says that he ripped that, li that young lion apart like it was like he would a goat. It was no match. It was no battle. And then, this, like in these couple of verses here in Judges 14, I've, I thought it was funny. Then he went, on to, uh, he went on and didn't tell nobody about it. Listen to me. If I kill a lion, everybody I know is going to know. I'll make shirts. I'll write a song. Y'all going to know that I fought a lion and killed it. <laughs> he didn't tell. It was just like a, it was a regular day for Samson. And he goes and he walks. And on his way back, the carcass of that lion is still laying there. And it's got a swarm of bees around it now. And there's honey in the carcass. And Samson, going back to the very battle that he just won with his lion, it is now giving him food that sustains him. The Bible says that he dips his hand in it, and he takes a taste of it and, it, and it, and it brightens his countenance as well. What I thought was funny, and I'm sure there's more to it, it said that he took it to his mom and dad, and it just said that he dipped his hand in there. So I imagine him coming in and being like, Mom and Dad, here's some honey. It's funny. It's funny. The battles that you have faced will be sustenance for you as you go. <laughs> the victories that you have won in Christ. And I, I believe that's why one of the first things when the enemy comes to try to defeat us is to take away our memory of who God has been. I mean, how many of you have ever been there? It's like our testimony gets washed away for a minute. It, not, it doesn't go away, but it's like we're, 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 when we listen to the voice of the enemy, we're believing a lie and we forget the truth. But if you remember the battles that you have faced and the victories that you have won, it will bring you life down the road. 
That way when you fight something else that you know is not from God, you can look back and say, if God delivered me from this, I know that he can deliver me from that. That's what David was saying to Saul. He said, God delivered me from the paw of the lion. God delivered me from the paw of the bear. Surely he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I want you to say, surely. It, it will happen because God is faithful and he's true. It might, not, it might not always feel like you're in the middle of a victory because sometimes a battle has to be fought. You have to walk through difficulties sometimes. When you are going to, through battle, the victory is already won, but it's on us to take the steps to gain that victory. Amen, church? Continuing in 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go out in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took the staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, uh, the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with, uh, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I want to say this to you. Do not try to fight your battles in somebody else's armor. Don't try to fight your battles. I can't fight my battles in the armor that my father wears. I can't fight my battles through a social influencer. I can't fight my battles through a YouTube preacher. I can only fight my battles with what God has equipped me to fight them with. You say, how do I be equipped to fight a battle? You spend time with the king. You spend time with the one who fashioned us and knows exactly what we need to be equipped with to win the battle that we're facing. Some of y'all are trying to wield a sword that's too big for you right now. And we don't like to hear that. We want the big swords. We want the big swords. We want the big offices. We want the big titles. We want the big pay increases. We want the big whatever. But Listen, some of y'all have prophetic words, and I believe what I said earlier, that when God says it, it is written down and it's done. But there are times where God will release a word prophetically that you've got to rise to the level to see come to pass in your life. And it's the same thing as wearing armor that is not yours. If God has called you to be a pastor, but you still have pride and arrogance, and you've not done the steps necessary to empty yourself out, God will not give you a pastorate until it's time to do that. We like to kick indoors. We like to go to places that we don't belong, and then we get frustrated when we get into those places, when we get into those realms, and there's no fruit. And actually, on the opposite side of it, we're worn out. Because we are wearing armor that is not suited to us yet. Not that it might not be one day. We know very well that David's going to grow up and have his own armor to wear. Look at the person next to you and say, don't try to fight in somebody else's armor. So then we see that David went down to the stream, to the river, and he picked out five stones, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Let's continue on in 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 47. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bear in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the, uh, birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the Lord God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. And then David starts to prophesy. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild of the air. Nobody came out and said, okay, if we beat you, you're going to serve us. All they thought about is if we lose, we're going to serve him. David says, I'm going to use the words that you are trying to destroy me with, and I'm going to turn them back on you and watch what God does. Because a couple moments later, this is exactly what happens. And he goes on to say, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. So the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Quit trying to fight a spiritual war with physical means. I'm not, I, I love practicality. 
And I know that we've called to steward, and I know that there are some things that we have to do. David could not have beat Goliath without the sling and the rock, but he was not fighting with the sling and the rock. He knew that there was a spiritual battle that was taking place. I've heard it said before, and I totally agree with it. Some of you all are trying to counsel out something that needs to be delivered. We entertain things in our life with practical means, which all we need to do is go to the Father and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Make me what you want me to be. Money cannot always buy you out of what you're facing. The Bible says that it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And a lot of us are trying to fight with practical means when we have an absolute spiritual arsenal at the tip of our fingers waiting for us to be used. And I want you to know this. I've come with the word of the Lord today to tell somebody in this house that the weapons that the enemy has tried to destroy you with, God will use them as instruments to destroy them and bring praise back to God. What do I mean? Those of you who have been battling generational depression, you are going to walk in joy because you are walking in what God says and not what you should be walking in. Those of you battling with alcoholism, you are going to walk in freedom from substance because you don't want your kids battling with that. Those who have been walking in sexual immorality and addictions to pornography, God will not allow you to continue walking down that path. He's bringing purity to you and the thing that the enemy tried to kill you with is going to be flipped on its head for the glory of God. Because there's doubt even in the room right now to say, how can that happen? There's doubt even coming to your mind right now to say, how can that happen? I don't even know how to walk out of the mess that I'm walking with and in. But the way maker is in the room today. He's here. We can do nothing in and of ourselves. You are not strong enough. You are not bold enough. You are not any of the things necessary. It's only God who can bring the increase in your life. But he's looking for a heart that says, I need you, God. I can't fight these battles on my own anymore. Those of you who have been, who've been dealing with identity issues and self-worth problems, God is going to give you the identity of the kingdom of God today to remind you that you are a son and a daughter. And I wish that somebody in this church would hear what I'm trying to say to you today. And gone are the days where we are just going to say, it is what it is. Not gone are those days. Now we look with faith and courage and hope to say that God is the answer and the solution. And I will not let my kids fight with what I fight with. Because what one generation tolerates, another generation accepts. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy today. I feel a little crazy. I, I pray that that spirit that we see inside of David comes alive in us. That we get, we absolutely get fed up with it. We get angry. We get angry with what, how, the, how the enemy, you know the Bible in the Beatitudes says, blessed are those who mourn for they should be comforted. The, that, that's not talking about somebody who has suffered loss. That's, that's talking about somebody who sees sin's devastation on mankind and they mourn in their soul. I pray that God breaks our heart. I pray that God breaks your heart. I, I read this and I thought that it was great. Everyone else thought, Goliath is so big I can't beat him. David thought, Goliath is so big I can't miss him. We need a perspective change. We need to look at things through heaven's eyes and no longer the lies that have been rooted deep inside. I feel the spirit of the Lord starting to move in this place right now. Stop accepting the lies that we have accepted for so long. And it's not that the enemy's so big. It's that God has equipped you and that he's big enough. to. It's like, man, I, I got kids. Hi, right, guys. They're down here. If they face something in their life, they don't have to face it alone. You face something in your life, you have the lion of the tribe of Judah that is roaring over your shoulder. It's not you versus the world. It's you and heaven and the king of kings and the Lord of lords versus somebody. Listen, a lot of times we say, oh, it's Jesus and it's Satan. No, no, no. They're not even on the same coin, baby. He's nowhere near to the level of power that Jesus Christ won when he had victory over grave, the cross, and death, and hell. He reigns supreme. 
Your enemy is not, the Bible says that he only has delegated authority, which means he can only do with what you give him. Look in the Garden of Eden. He had to convince Eve to eat the apple. He didn't like take it out and shove it in her mouth and say, there, you've eaten the apple. He can't do that to you. The enemy is not this all-powerful, Hollywood-looking, red pitchfork in hand, horns on this. No, no, no. The Bible says that at the, the, the end of all this, that God's going to pull back and reveal who it was. And the nations of the earth will say, this is what caused all the chaos. <laughs> we need to reconsider, reconsider who our enemy is. We've given him far. We find the devil in everything if we can. But he ain't that powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not anything that God is, but we see him in everything. Sometimes we got to stop ascribing devil blame for something that we caused. Sometimes we have to stop assigning devil blame because of something God's trying to do. We do it all the time. We do it all of the time. Am I, am I saying the devil's not active and working? I absolutely am not saying that. He's the principality of the air. That's what the Bible tells us. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've got to stop saying he's such a big devil because when I magnify the devil in my life, where does God go? David said this in Psalm 57, 6. They spread a net for my feet and I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. That's what your God does. I mean, you read all throughout the Psalms, people were after David. People were after David. This, this is just the beginning of the story between he and Saul and between what David would become. But he would, he would always be crying out to God, God, come save me. But I love this passage, especially considering what he's facing here with Goliath. They set a trap for me, but they themselves fall into it. Goliath is trying to trap him into a sense of fear, but it's actually Goliath who has fallen into the trap of the Almighty God. The five stones, I love this. I've heard it described a lot of times as five stones represent the fivefold ministry. I've also heard that people try to assign different attributes to it, trust, faith. But what I believe and what I found proof of in scripture is that David knew that Goliath had four relatives from Gath. Hang with me here. He knew that there were five giants and he was facing one of them today. He didn't grab 10 stones, he grabbed five stones because he didn't intend to miss. And he went out with those five stones and with the first stone, he slew Goliath. And then if you go in your Bibles, and I'm not gonna read it, but I encourage you to go. 2 Samuel 21, 18 through 22 gives account of David and his men killing these four other giants. One of them was actually ascribed as the brother of Goliath. One of them had six fingers. It gives some interesting details in that. But David and his men killed every single one of them. Goliath had come to end Israel. David came to end everything, everything Goliath stood for. Because here's the fact of the matter. David had to face Goliath on his own. He had a cowarding army behind him. David fought the first Goliath by himself. The next, four Goli the next four giants you see him face, he's with his men. And I want to tell you today that some of us, we go through wars, we go through facing giants, not just for the benefit of us, but then when we see somebody else who's fighting a giant, we can come alongside of them and say, I've already defeated this no good rotten thing over here. Let me help you through accountability, through prayer. Let me throw rocks at this giant with you because you're not alone in it. There's a purpose in what we face Mm. He wanted to completely incapacitate them. And so now we get down to our key verse here where it said that he killed Goliath and then he went and stood over top of him and he cut his head off. Some of you are like, that's a bit much. But when you have stood for 40 days and you are hearing Goliath defile the armies of God, not only did David want to kill him, he wanted to make sure that he was dead. We cannot play with sin in our life. Sometimes we can kill the giant, but keep him on just enough life support to regain and overtake us later. 
What do I mean by that? That means I, I have ought in my heart towards somebody, then I tell them, hey, I forgive you, please forgive me. And we forgive each other, and we leave that moment. But every time I see them, I roll my eyes. Every time I see them, my heart is like, oh, man, there's that person. You're keeping that giant just enough life in your heart to stay alive to where you're going to have to face him again down the road. <laughs> Listen, some of you all are facing alcoholism in this house, and it's not just enough to get rid, to just put the bottles away. you got to get rid of them. Alcoholism is a sin. That's what the Bible tells us. Some of you have been facing sexual immorality in your life, and you have to not just walk away from it, but then you have to be intentional with cutting the head off of it so that it does not come back in your life again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in this house today? I know Thanksgiving's coming up, but nobody's eating any turkeys yet. Don't go to sleep on me here. We not only have to kill our enemy, but we have to cut its, what? We have to cut its head off. No more power over us in the name of Jesus because we've done the work. And a lot of people get confused when they say, is it God who killed Goliath or was it David who killed Goliath? And the answer is yes. God killed Goliath, but it was David's sling that caused the thing to happen. And God is slaying the giants in your life, but we have work to do. We have choices and decisions to make that put us in a position to sling the stone so that the thing can be accomplished. So yeah, God is all powerful. And I've always, I've always said this, that God has a plan today, and that plan's you. He put his spirit inside of you. Jesus did his work on the cross. We walk in the salvation of the almighty God, and now he's given us his spirit so that we can walk in all the things that he's given us to walk in. Stand with me, if you will, please. I want you to begin to pray because I really, I believe that today there are going to be some Davids in the room that are going to kill the giant and cut the head off of the giant. You know, one thing I was thinking about this week, um, Apostle Andre was here and he was prophesying over people here at the church and he was talking a lot about family and things that have come down the line. And that really got my, my heart and my mind working and hearing the voice of the Lord. The Lord shared that with me about he's gonna, he's gonna use the weapons that the enemy tried to destroy you with and we're gonna destroy the enemy with those instruments of weapon before I even looked at David and Goliath. This is the word for us today. 